The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit MorningstarDayton.org. Well, once again, welcome this morning. Last week we had an amazing Easter service, and, and I, am, I can't wait to see what God does moving forward. Because last week we started this series called This Changes Everything. And we looked at how the fact that Jesus was killed, he was buried, he rose again, and that resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection changed everything. And we looked at how it's the fact that he gave his life for us so we could give our life to him, and at that moment, when we accept that, we give our life to him, how that changes everything. And today we're gonna carry that forward a little bit more. And I wanna kind of um, unpack this a little bit to look at what does that mean? There's a, there's a verse in Colossians, you don't have to turn there, but there's a, book, a verse in Colossians, Paul's writing a letter to the church that's in a town called Colossae. And in chapter one, verse 14, he says, in whom, talking about Jesus, we have redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And we're, we're talking about this idea of this changes everything. And this word redemption packs a huge punch if we really know what it means. But what does it mean? That's a kind of a churchy word. We use the word like mercy and, and grace and redemption. What does that really mean? I want to take time this morning to kind of unpack that a little bit and, and look at how this actually affects and does change everything. You know, the truth is we, we all have limits on how much we're willing to put up with something, right? Uh, growing up, I knew that my mom, uh, hi mom, she's watching. So I knew that my mom had reached her limit with me when she would look at me and, and maybe your mom did. She would say, John, I've had it up to here, right? Anybody ever used that or been given that speech before, right? Like, and as a young boy, I'm like, well, what are you talking about when you say it? What do you mean by it? And what does it mean? Like, what does this mean? And I've had it up to here. What I did know what that meant was when dad got home, dad was going to unload it on me. But when mom said, I've had it up to here, I knew she had reached her limit. Like she had dealt with as much as she was willing to deal with. Sometimes it was all three of us getting that speech, right? I've had it, right? I've had it. I've, I've reached my maximum patience with you right now, right? And I, it's hard to believe for you but I was quite the handful growing up, okay? My mouth got me in a lot of trouble and I would try to learn, like it would be great if my mom would have had a gauge on her that I could watch during the day, the it filling up, so I would know when it got to here before it exploded out the top, so I would know, okay, how far can I push her, right? Before she's had it, right? And, and so, but I just, what it meant, what she meant was I've, I'm done. Like you've pushed me beyond what I'm willing to put up with. And, we all have limits like that. We all have limits on what we're willing to put up with from our own kids. We have limits to what we're willing to put up with from work, uh, from a boss. Some of us, maybe this morning, maybe you've walked off a job before. You're like, I've reached it. I've had it up to here. Like, this is past what I'm willing to put up with. We have limits on what we're willing to put up with when it comes to our family. And we have limits on what we're willing to pay for stuff, too. Think about that. When you go and buy a car or you go and you, you go, buy, go shopping at the store, we're always evaluating, aren't we? Is, you know, is it worth the money that they're asking for for this good or service? And we have limits on what we're willing to pay for stuff. We have limits uh, on what we're willing to do to even help somebody out, don't we? Like we're all generally nice people in here, hopefully. 
But we all, have, we all have limits on how far we're willing to go, even to help someone out. That's a different sermon for a different time. But humanly speaking, I have limits and so do you. All of us have these unspoken limits on how far we're willing to go, how much we're willing to put up with, how much we're willing to pay. And we all have these limits like that. And, and if I think about it this way, and ladies, I'm not going to pick on you, but it's kind of easy. So here's the deal. In general... In general, women own more clothing than men. In general, right? Okay. <laughs> I heard that. Okay, so in general, women own more clothing. In general, women own more shoes than men. Uh, once again, except for Ben. But other than that, in general, in general, women own more cosmetics than men. If you own any cosmetics as a man, we got to talk. But like, in, like with a whole different story. But in general, a woman, the, the space between her closet and her bathroom, there's a lot of money wrapped up in that area, right? Between clothes and shoes and makeup and cosmetics, a lot of money in that one little small area of your house. You ever thought about that? Like in about a 40-square-foot area, you have a lot of stuff right there, right? And so if I was to show up to your house, ladies, and I would say, hey, I'm here, and I'm here to take all of your clothes, shoes, and cosmetics. I'm going to give them away to someone else. There's going to be a different mixture of reactions from some of you, okay? Some of you, if I was able to sell it enough, like it was going to go to a good cause, some of you might go, might be a little hesitant at first. Like, I don't know if I can really part with that. But, okay, if it's going to a good cause, like, at least leave me one pair of shoes and some clothes to wear. Like, and we can, I'll just get more stuff. Some of you might actually have that reaction. Some of you might have the reaction of, I'm not going to give it, I'll sell it to you. But I'm not just going to hand over all my clothes, shoes, and cosmetics, right? I'm not going to do that. Some of you would say, I'm going to murder you where you stand if you touch my stuff, right? So there's going to be a different mixture there. For guys, we, we, we have the same thing, right? Ours might not be clothing, cosmetics, or shoes, but we have our own stuff too that we're like, okay, don't touch this. This is off limits. But we all have limits on what we're willing to do. The question about redemption then is really the question of how far is God willing to go? Like, what's God's limit? You ever thought about that? What's God's limit? Does God ever look at us and go, I've had it up to here? <laughs> like, you've crossed the line. I, I'm done. Like, how far is God willing to go for us? How far is too far for him to rescue us? What is his limit when it comes to saving us? Or, like, what is the line? Is there a line that God has that says, okay, as long as you haven't crossed this line, then I'm willing to rescue you. I'm willing to save you. And I know if you're anything like me, you've probably asked this question before. Okay, well, what if I've done this? And just fill in the blank. We'll start with the worst one. What if I've murdered someone? Like, is that too far? Like, is that just, is God like, well, anything up to and including murder? Like that, but that, like, is too far. What if I've murdered multiple people? Is that too far? And I know those are really extreme examples, aren't they? Because then we can go the whole route. Well, what about Hitler, right? What about Muslim terrorists? We just saw last week on Sunday, Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka, hundreds of people lost their lives when these terrorists walked into the churches and blew themselves up and, and killed just countless people. What about them? Do they cross God's imaginary line? Are they past God being willing to rescue them? Are they beyond the scope of God's grace? Are they like, have they crossed that? You know, like, okay, well, these are really extreme. Let's be a little more practical then. Well, John, what if, 
what if I, I struggle with anger? And like my first response all the time is I lash out. I lose my temper. And I know it's wrong, but I just can't help. Like it's just, it just comes out and I, and I just feel horrible about it. Like what, is that too far? Is, did I cross God's line? Is that, can he really still save me? Or what if, man, I, I'm struggling with un, unforgiveness and bitterness in my life and I just, I'm holding grudges like it's nobody's business and I know it's wrong and I'm convicted by it, but I just, I can't let go. Is that too far? Or maybe, John, I, I struggle with pornography. I'm struggling with things I allow myself to look at. And like I'm always falling into this same sin over and over again. And, and I know it's wrong and I feel so dirty. But is, it, is that too far? Like has God passed being able to rescue me? Is too far. What is, what is too far? Really, here's what it boils down to. When we ask about talking about the redemption or it, it, how far is God willing to go, what we have to ask is this question is, it really depends on what value God places on us. If someone broke into my house and, and they wiped us clean, I mean, they took all of our furniture, they took all of our decorations, they took everything, even you know, my guns, they, they took everything. That would be a hassle. And I would be upset. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be like super pious this morning. Oh, I would not be well. It would bother me. And I would make a phone call to the police department. I would report that somebody broke into my house and stole all of our stuff. And then my next phone call would be to the insurance company. And I would report that. And then, but you know what would happen? We would move on with our life. If somebody broke into my house and took one of my kids... You're not going to see your pastor for a few weeks because I'm going to be taking care of business. You know what I'm saying? Two totally different responses, right? Why? It's based on the value that I've placed on things. See, I like my stuff. We all like our stuff, but I don't value my stuff like I value my kids. And so if something was to happen, if somebody took that, then my response is different because I have value to my kids. So how far I'm willing to go is based on what value I put on things or people, right? And the same thing goes for God. So if we're like, how far is God willing to go? The question is, what kind of value does God place on us? And I love this because this whole topic of what we're talking about this morning of redemption and how it changes everything is really found tucked away in a little small book in the Old Testament called Hosea. Not Jose, but Hosea, Okay. And maybe most of you here this morning, you might not have ever even read Hosea. Some of you guys might have even heard about the book called Hosea in the Old Testament. And look, that's okay. Because today we get to unpack it together. We get to go through it together. But it's this little tiny book right after the book of Daniel. In this amazing story of God and people. And Hosea is this prophet. He's basically, he's a preacher. He's a very little known guy. He's not a famous guy. He, he's not, he, not everybody knows his name. And he didn't have the glamour of Isaiah, because the book of Isaiah is super long. He wrote a lot. He didn't have all the cool miracles of Elijah or Elisha. He didn't have the amazing opportunity like Daniel to be given a vision of the future and what that's going to look like. He didn't have all the responsibility of Jeremiah. He was just this little known preacher guy in the Old Testament. And but the story of Hosea that he writes is an amazing picture of God. We get a glimpse of who God is. We get a glimpse into the attributes of God that maybe we've never looked at before. Now, don't get me wrong. The context is this. Hosea is writing this book 
to the Jews. They're living in turmoil right now. The, the nation's split in two. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom's called Judah. At this point when Hosea's writing, they're actually in a civil war with one another. They're fighting each other, which is really awkward because most of them, they know one another. They're kind of related. But they're also, both of these nations have turned their back on God. And Hosea's writing about this cycle that has repeated itself since the Jews came out of Egypt. Like they worship God for a little while and then they turn their back on God and worship other little false idols and do some really horrible things. Bad things happen to them. They turn back to God and the, this cycle just keeps going over and over again. And so Hosea's writing this book to the Jews, but he's writing about his life. What's crazy is what happens to Hosea mirrors exactly what the people, the Jews are doing to God in their relationship. It's a story of how far God is willing to go for us, even when we're filthy and dirty, even when we're so jacked up and messed up, even when we push him away. So I know you're still probably thinking about, okay, but what if I've done this? Like, what if I'm struggling with this in my life? I wonder if I've gone too far for God in my life. And there's two types of people here this morning. There's those of us that we talked about last week, we've given our life to Christ. We're a believer in Jesus Christ. And there's some of you this morning that you still haven't made that decision yet. And so both these groups of people this morning, we're going to have a different reaction to this this morning. Because some of us, of believers, here's the question we ask. Because I've done this in my life, is God done with me? Has God kind of pushed me aside? As believers, we struggle with that sometimes. Those of you this morning that you've never given your life to Jesus, you're in that second category. Here's the question that, that, that you struggle with is, can God save me? Like, John, if you only knew what I've done, can God even, does he even want to save me? And right now, this morning, I'm, I'm talking to you. I want us to understand this because it's so important. This is your redemption story. And so let me talk to you about Hosea real quick before we get there. Hosea falls in love with a woman named Gomer. It's a very interesting name for a woman, but it's a woman named Gomer. They get married. Life's going really well. He's preaching God's word. He's traveling around. He's, he, he's doing what God called him to do. And him, and him and Gomer, they have two kids. Everything's going well until their third kid comes along. And this kind of starts the whole story off. In fact, when the third child is named, in Hosea chapter 1, they name it Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami literally means no kin of mine, no relation. So the first two kids that Jose and Gomer have, everything's going well. They have the storybook marriage and everything's going great. And then when a third child comes along, Hosea find, finds out that this child doesn't belong to him. Because Gomer's been stepping out. Gomer's been leaving, and what we find is, as we read through chapter 2, we find out what her lifestyle looks like. That at some point in their marriage, being married to this preacher, this, this man of God, she starts going out and prostituting herself. Selling her body for money and running after other lovers. And, and she, would leave, <clears throat> she would leave home, she would go prostitute herself, and Hosea would go find his wife, bring her home, clean her up, love on her, give her, forgive her, give her this amazing home to live in, and she would leave again. And when you read through this passage, this happens over and over and over again. Gomer leaves, Hosea chases after her. 
brings her home. Gomer leaves, Hosea leaves, chases after her, brings her home again. It's mirroring what is really happening as well with the Jews and their relationship with God. Everything will be fine for a while, then they leave God. Do horrible, unspeakable things. Come back to God. Leave again. And in Hosea chapter 2, in verse 2, Hosea actually pleads with her to please stop. Please come home. And, and look in chapter 2 of Hosea. If you don't have it, the, the passage will be up on the screen. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 5 says, For their mother is promiscuous. She conceived them and acted shamefully. For she thought, I will go after my lovers. The men who gave me my food and water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. And, and so here's what, here's what she's saying. She's at home with Hosea and everything. he's trying to make things right. He's trying to give her a nice home and a, a loving, being a loving husband. And even raising their third child, which isn't even his. And she leaves and she says, I'm going to go after the people. And when you read that text, what, what, it, what it reads is, I'm going to go after those who really love me. I'm going to go after those who really want what's best for me. I'm going to go after those who really take care of me. Here's what she was thinking. In her delusion, in her sin, she was thinking that these men who were paying her for her body were the ones who really loved her. She was thinking these people who were using and abusing her were the ones who really wanted what's best for her. And we can think, how could anybody think that? I saw this play out time and time again. When I was a police officer in, in Springfield, I saw this, and especially even more so when I was in the gang unit and dealing with these young men who were in gangs. And if you were to, if you were to take a template of their life and their background and, and lay it over, it almost mirrors every, almost every gang member, gangbanger, almost has the, almost the same exact story. And it goes something like this. Young boy, 9, 10, 11 years old. Dad's either in prison or nowhere around. Mom's either struggling and trying to work, but she's not at home a lot, or she isn't herself in jail or, or, or hung up on drugs. So young boy turns to the gang and the street life. Ends up being raised by grandma. And I saw this over and over again. Grandma raises, grandma gives everything she has to raise grandson. She sacrifices her money to pay for his food, to try to make sure he goes to school, try to make sure he has a good home. And at some point, grandma gets to the end of her rope. She's like, I don't know what else to do. He's already hanging out with this. And so what I saw happen over and over again, grandma packs up everything she owns, spends every dime she has, loads up a truck, and moves to Springfield, Missouri. And this happens in other cities too, but I, I experienced it in Springfield. And they came from Chicago. They came from Little Rock, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, St. Louis. And they would move to Springfield hoping that I can give a better life to my grand. I can get them away from that environment. And literally, grandma sacrifices everything she has for grandson. But it didn't take long for grandson to find the street life again to find the gang, start hanging out, gets older now, he's 13, 14, 15 years old, and grandson starts to believe that the gang he's hanging out with is his real family. They're the ones that really love him, even though grandma spent every dime she had to move him out of a bad situation. 
that this gang that he's hanging out with has given him the drugs to use, the drugs to sell, given him the guns to carry, given him the women to prostitute out. He starts believing they're the ones that want what's best for me, and they totally turn their back on grandma. I saw it especially, Manny and I, when we were in college, we were going to a church, and our friends Tim and Jen were running a junior high department in the youth group at a church, and we were helping them out, and there were two little boys, and that was their story. They were 13 years old in junior high at the time. Grandma had moved them there. And they were so fun to hang out with. They were so funny. And I loved talking with them and hanging out with them when we were helping out and working there. And and over time, they started coming less and less. And then our lives changed. I ended up going through the police department and became an officer. And eight years later, I'm in the gang unit. One of our officers gets in a small car chase with with a, a gangbanger and the car wrecks out and there's a little foot chase and they go and they catch the guy, they arrest him and he's got a lot of drugs on him and he's in a lot of trouble. He's got a rap sheet a mile long. He has warrants out for his arrest. He's going to prison for a very, very long time. And I show up and I, and I go and I, as soon as I see him, I recognize him as one of the young boys from the junior high department. The sad thing is he doesn't even recognize me. I try to tell him who I am. Like, hey, don't remember me. I'm, I'm John and, and we, we helped you guys out. He has no clue. And you just saw it in his life and in his face that he had totally turned his back on the one who really loved him to the people who he thought loved him, and he bought into that lie. And before we start really judging Gomer and the gangbangers for that, here's the deal. We do the same thing. Now, we might be running off to prostitution or running drugs, or, but we do the same thing with God. Here's what we do. We start to turn to our money. We start to turn to our security. We start to turn to our job our possessions, and we start thinking that those things are the things that are really taking care of us, that those things are really the things that are giving us joy in our life. And we do the same thing, just like Gomer was chasing after those who she thought loved her, we do the same thing. And here's poor Hosea chasing after his wife over and over again. And in fact, in in verse 6, he tries to stop her physically from leaving again, begging and pleading her, don't do this, don't do this. In chapter 2, verse 10, he actually goes and he finds Gomer and it says that he reveals reveals her shame, which means he actually catches her with another man. Imagine the pain and the hurt. I chased after her and I've tried to love her. I've tried to give her everything. I've tried to just give her a home. I'm taking care of the kids. I I want her just to love me back like she used to when we first got married. And this time when he goes and finds her, he actually catches her in the act. And imagine what that must have done to him. Verse 7, we find that she still leaves and chases after other lovers. And in verse 13, not only does she cheat, on Hosea, but she actually sacrificed to some false gods called Marduk and Balaam. And we've talked about them in here before. They're horrible. They would sacrifice, they would make this, this statue out of bronze, put a fire in it, and heat the hands of this statue up, and they would take their newborn babies and place the newborn babies on the glowing red hot hands of the statue and sacrifice them. And the priest, I use that word not priest like God's priest, but of the false idol would be singing and there would be this loud chanting to try to drown out the sound of the crying babies before they died. So not only did she cheat on him, but we find that she actually sacrificed to Marduk and Balaam. You know what that means? That means it's quite possible that she was pregnant at some point, either with Hosea's baby or another baby, gave birth to that baby, and offered that baby as a sacrifice. We find that she is just spiraling 
deeper and deeper and darker and darker into this brokenness. Like every, every step she takes is further away from Hosea. It's further away from what God would want for her life. And here's Hosea still chasing after her, but now he's got a choice. But we find in chapter 2, verse 14, here's, here's what Hosea does. He says, therefore... The word therefore is crazy because in, that word therefore is taking into account everything that happened before that. So Hosea is saying therefore. So because she's cheated on me a number of times, because she's run off and become a prostitute, because she's sacrificed to Baal, because she's done some horrible wicked things, because of that and in spite of that, I am going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Now, this is what God is also saying to the Jews who have turned away from him over and over again. But this is what Hosea is also saying to his bride. I'm going to chase after her. I'm going to speak tenderly to her. But what happens is somewhere between chapter 2 and chapter 3, she leaves again. We don't know why. We just know that she's gone again because the next time we pick it up, she's in a totally different situation. This might be years later. This might be months later. We don't know. But this time when she leaves, Hosea doesn't chase her this time. Right away. By this time, Gomer has sold herself off to um, some people who were prostituting her out for her. But when we pick up the story in chapter 3, by this time she's used up. Her lovers no longer find her attractive. Those people, remember that she thought loved her and wanted to take care of her, no longer want anything to do with her. They don't want her anymore. She, she's rough looking now. She's feeble. More than likely, she's sick. It's so bad that at this point, she's being sold as a slave. We pick up the story in chapter 3, and she's on the auction block. Because she can't sell herself on the street anymore. She can't make any more money for the person who's in control of her. So now that person who owns her puts her up on an auction block, probably not wearing anything, to stand in front of the whole town and the whole area, the whole crowd of people, probably full of the same men who months or years before would have paid money to be with her. And now to have all these people staring at her, knowing that now she's worthless for anything else other than just maybe being a slave. And she's on this auction block. And look in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again and show love to a woman who's been loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods, and love raisin cakes. It's a, it's, a, it's a metaphor of what the lifestyle they were seeking after instead of God. God says, I want you to go to her and show her the love of a husband. And you're like, how? Let's, let's, let's just talk as, as human beings instead of super self-righteous spiritual people. Because for you and I, that would be very hard, wouldn't it? For us to chase after the one who every time we've given our heart has ripped it out and thrown it on the ground and stomped it, right? 
Every time we've given of ourselves and, and emptied ourselves of our love and emptied ourselves and sacrificed everything for someone else that we love so dearly, to have them spurn that, to have them throw that away time and time again, that would be like, I don't, I don't, I couldn't do that. And you know that Hosea probably was feeling the same way at this moment because God says, I want you to go to the woman who has given herself to other people. I want you to go to the woman who's broken. I want you to go to this woman whom you love and I want you to love her again. And Hosea probably said, how in the world? Like, I can't. God, don't you know what she's done to me? Don't you know how she's hurt me? I'm raising our kids and one of them's not even mine. I, God, I caught her in the act with another person. I saw that happen with my own eyes. God, she killed a baby. She sacrificed a baby to Baal. When, I can't go down that road. And I think that's probably why God put in the second part of that verse, just as the Lord loves. Hosea, you're right. You can't do this but you do it just as I love. What God is giving us here, that's an amazing thing, by the way. He's giving us a glimpse into who he is. Because Gomer's story is my story. And Gomer's story is your story. And there might be people in this life who've given up on you, there might be people in this life who've turned their backs on you because you messed up, because you maybe messed up more than once, because you messed up more than what their limit was, and maybe they totally abandoned you because of your brokenness, and God says, that's not me. I love as God loves, and he's telling Hosea this. I want you to go get her, and so Hosea shows up. And he gets there just in time because when he shows up in verse two, what we find is Gomer is on the auction block. The bidding has started. And once again, Hosea is faced with a choice. What must that have been like? See, he was at home when God came to him and says, go get, go get Gomer. And it's one thing to be out of sight, out of mind, and say, okay, God, I'm going to obey and I'll go. But it was another thing when he got to the auction block that day and actually saw her with his eyes. Imagine all the fresh hurt that showed up again. Imagine all the, the scars that just ripped open, the scabs just peeled off. How raw that must have been for him. But he looks up on that auction block and everybody's looking at the same woman. Everyone else saw a prostitute that was used up. Everyone else saw a cheater and a liar. Everyone else saw a person who worshiped this horrible, false God. But what Hosea saw was Gomer. Everyone saw this used up prostitute. He saw his wife. Everyone saw this ugly woman who was broken and used and he saw the beauty that she had the same day that he married her. Everyone saw her filthiness and had rejected her and what he saw was his desire to rescue her and to be her hero. So what does he do with this woman now? Who's treated him so horribly and rejected him so many times. Here, here's what he does. He pays for her freedom. Look in verse 2 of chapter 3. It says, so I bought her. 
So I bought her for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley. And I said to her, you must come live with me. It's not a, hey, you have to. It's it's him pleading with her. You must come home with me. Please come home with me. Don't be promiscuous or belong to another man. And I will act the same way towards you. I'm promising you a good life. I'm promising you my love will never fail you. And so I just imagine that day she's on the auction block and Hosea shows up and his heart just breaks for this woman who he has loved, who hasn't loved him in return. And yet he looks out and he cries out as the bidding starts. And he's probably praying in the back of his mind, God, please let me outbid him. Please let me get this woman. Please let me buy her. And imagine the joy in his heart as he won. And he pays for her 15 pieces of silver and some wheat and barley. See, the price of a slave back then was 30 pieces of silver. Hosea is just a poor preacher. He doesn't have 30 pieces of silver. On that day on the auction block, as the bidding's going up and the normal price of a slave is 30 pieces of silver, all he has to offer is what money he has with him and the promise of some wheat and barley. You're like, okay, what's the importance of that? What's the big deal? What that means is he gave everything he had. He gave every ounce of silver or money that he had, and he gave away the future of some of his farm and produce. He says, I am going to buy her, and it's going to cost me everything I have. But that was nothing compared to the love that he had for her. He gave all he had. And Hosea had to know, don't think about this, he had to know that as he was counting out those pieces of silver, And writing out the promissory note for the barley and the grain, don't you know he understood in the back of his mind that at any moment she could take off and leave again? Knowing that, hey, I've been here before, I've rescued her before, but what's going to be different this time? But it didn't stop him. He paid every penny. He knew that, hey, she just might stab me in the back again. He knew she might just run off again, but he still was willing to pay the sacrifice for the one that he loved. To set her free. So here, lean in at this point. This is, because this is the true story of Hosea's life. But it's who God is. It shows us how far God is willing to go for you and for me. It shows how much he's willing to pay for us. See, What Hosea did was what we call a foreshadowing. It was a picture of what Christ was going to do. So that day, Hosea is bidding on his wife as she's standing up on the auction block and he's calling out the numbers and he wins and he goes and he pays money to set her free. And here's what Jesus did for us. He paid the price for us. He paid the debt that was over our head. He paid the ransom to set us free. But not only did he pay it, what he did, he said, I'm gonna pay it, but I'm gonna take your place on the auction block. I'm going to pay your debt and I'm going to take your place. I'm going to die your death. I'm going to pay your penalty and I'm going to take all that suffering and all the wrath of God and all the punishment on me so you don't have to spend a minute experiencing that. It's an amazing story of who God is and what Jesus did for us. And once again, we're the ones that have stabbed God in the back. We're the ones who have broken his rules. We're the one that have, in our own sin and brokenness and rejection and failures have left God. 
We have the debt that we can't pay. We have the ransom over us. But yet he chases us in the middle of our sin into a world that has abused us and neglected us and left us broken after we fall over and over again. He says, I'm going to take care of all that. And I'm going to give everything I have. Look in chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. God gives this message to Hosea for the, the northern place of Israel. He says, how can I give up on you, Ephraim? He says, how can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? I have had a change of heart. And God says, I'm going to take care of this myself. And look at the last part of that verse. He says, my compassion is stirred. And what it means is he says, my compassion is burning for you. I love that. He says, how can I give up on you? The answer is rhetorical. He can't. He's not going to. And then he says, but then the question is, okay, well, why? For me and my own self, I'm like, God, you know my brokenness. You know my thoughts. You know what I struggle with. You know my failures. Why in the world would you want anything to do with me? Like Gomer was standing on that auction that day. Why in the world? Let us go through her mind. Why in the world does Hosea want to buy me? After what I've done to him, after how I've treated him, why in the world would Hosea want anything to do with me? So for me, why would God want anything to do with me? Why would God want to do anything with you? Check this out. I love this. This next verse is probably one of the most powerful passages here in this, in this area. In verse 9, he says, I will not vent the full fury of my anger. I will not turn back to destroy Ephraim. Here it is. For I am God and not man. And I don't know if you caught the, the, the impact of that. God says, you know why I'm not giving up on you? Do you know why I'm willing to pay the price for you even though how broken you are? you know why I'm willing to die for you? you know why I'm willing to give my life for you even though everybody else might have turned their back on you? It's because I'm God and I'm not man. You need to underline that. You need to mark that because Christians, listen, there's going to come a time in your, in your life you're going to doubt your salvation. You're going to doubt that God wants anything to do with you. And you need to understand, look, God does not look at you like man looks at you. Man's going to walk away from you. Man's going, to, man's going to leave you at your weakest moment. Man's going to turn their backs on you. They're going to do bad things to you. They're going to hurt your feelings. They're going to leave you hanging. There are all these things. And God says, I am God. I'm not man. I don't do that. Why does God want to redeem a messed up person like me? Because he's God and he's not man. Why would God never give up on me no matter what? Never write me off because he's God and he's not man. Some of you in your life, maybe you've never been accepted by anyone. Maybe you've never been truly loved by anyone. Some of you here this morning, maybe you've never been chased or pursued by anyone except for the people who want to use you up for their own selfish reasons. But God says, that's not me. I am God and I'm not man. So God is chasing and pursuing you today. God's here right now. He's chasing you and pursuing you and I onto the auction block. And he loves you more than anyone else on this earth ever have or ever will. And some of you, man, you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're standing on this auction block. And here's the deal. Right now you have God bidding on you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, because he gave it all. And that changes everything. And on the other hand, you have the world bidding on you to offer you just as much struggle, just as much pain, just as much heartache, just as much loneliness. 
The debt's been paid. The price has been paid. But here's the deal. You have the choice of whether you step off or not. You have the choice this morning whether you step off in freedom and new life in Christ or you stay where you are. Because he loves you too much to force you to come after him and to come home. What an amazing God we serve. The fact that we decide he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to step off into freedom. But you can choose to reject him and just leave with everything you've always had. And for those of you this morning saying, well, I think God's done with me. Romans chapter 8, the end of that chapter says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Because God is willing to go to the ends of earth. God is willing to go and send his son, Jesus, to die, to pay your penalty, to ransom, to redeem you, to buy you back to himself. And there's nothing that you can do to change that. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit MorningstarDayton.org and choose Contact Us.